Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. So I, I am so excited this morning. Uh, so I, I know most of you know Daniel. Uh, Daniel is a theology geek like me. He just loves theology. He's one of those people who reads books that thick for fun, you know, loves reading Puritan, you know, two, three hundred year old stuff, just like me. Like those are our rock stars. That's what we like to talk about. Um, and, and not only that, um, he, he, d- he doesn't just do that for his own benefit. Uh, Daniel helps me out a ton. He, on Monday nights, um, guys who come Monday nights, um, sometimes, I know for me, maybe, maybe I, I've been, it's been a hectic week and I haven't done all my studying for Monday night's men's group, but I know Daniel has. And I think a lot of us lean on that, just like Daniel's going to do so much homework. He's going to just, he's going to have all the answers. So sometimes we just, we just stare at him waiting for, to, to, <laughs> to help us out. Um, also, he is led at community group. You know, if you were part of the community group at my house, you know he does his homework. He knows his stuff. He's passionate about the Word of God. Uh, even more than that, any Sunday where I need him to do something, whether it's uh, to read Scripture, give a benediction, whatever I need, he always does it no problem. And so I'm so excited. I, I believe, like many of you have communicated with me, that Daniel has a gift. And so today he's going to take this next step and he's going to preach his first sermon for us. Um, let, me, let me pray for him. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for bringing uh, Daniel and Julia into uh, my life and uh, the life of my family and this church. Lord, they've been such a, a blessing, Lord, and always are a blessing to us. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you've called him, uh, this sharp, uh, good-looking young guy, uh, to have a passion not for this world but for your holy word. Lord, and I ask, Lord, that this morning you'd give him that power and unction and love and truth, Lord, that you'd give him your spirit to communicate your truth, and that this would be a beginning of a life for him, Lord, where he fearlessly presents your word to your people, Lord. And we ask this, Lord, to the glory of Jesus, Lord. Amen. So, Daniel. Good morning, church. I kind of want to first give thanks to uh, Roger for letting me use his uh, his tablet. I'm not an Apple guy, but today I am. So, well, I was going to give uh, an introduction about who I am, but I think James already did it for me. So, uh, I guess I could skip that part then. But I will say it was, I want to say maybe it's been close to about like a year since uh, I got together with James and I expressed my interest in, in preaching. And after thinking about it for some time and praying about it, I decided I wanted to do uh, the Psalms. So today I'm going to be doing Psalm 1. And I think it's important to have a balanced exposure to God's Word. So right now at the moment, James is going through the New Testament, so I decided I will pick uh, Psalm 1, which is in the Old Testament. 
So the Psalms are part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. So the wisdom literature contains books like the book of Job, the book of Proverbs, Song of Songs, Lamentations, for example. And just like these other books in the wisdom literature, the Psalms teach God's people how to live godly lives in His presence. If you will, the book of Psalms is like the playlist of God's people. And this playlist consists of 150 psalms and prayers. And there's various types that are in them as well. And they all cover the entire spectrum of human emotion. It's amazing to think that the biggest book in the Bible is filled with these songs and prayers. And that's evident as it's, uh, the Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Psalms were written all throughout Israel's history. Psalms can be traced back as early as Moses, since Psalm 90 is attributed to him, and as late as the exile, since Psalm 89 talks about the destruction of the temple. Psalms were composed by various authors. Probably the most notable one that we know is King David, but there's also other people in there. We have King Solomon. We just mentioned Moses. We, we also have the sons of Korah, to name others. David's Psalms do take up a good chunk of that book. I think it's a little bit under half of the 150 Psalms are attributed to him. Though a fascinating statistic, we should not overlook the fact that uh, all the Psalms in the Bible have as their ultimate author, God. Today, we'll be talking about Psalm 1, which is generally considered a wisdom psalm in that it contains helpful advice for God's people and how to live godly lives. In this psalm, we see two paths presented before us. We have the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. I also believe that this psalm is messianic and that it ultimately points us to the Christ. Psalm 1 and 2 are quite important as they set the stage for the rest of the entire Psalter. They present the main topics that permeate the rest of the Psalms. So Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man who obeys God's law. And then Psalm 2 talks about God's enthroned Messiah. Every other Psalm will in some way, shape, or form talk about these ideas. Author and commentator Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Psalm 1, sees this concept, at least with Psalm 1. In short, he says that Psalm 1 is the entrance to the rest of the Psalms. It presents God's people with two options, live righteously or live wickedly. It gives us the truth to inform our lives, which is God's word. And... It gives us the final outcome of those two paths. To give an idea of how Psalm 1 and 2 function, imagine that you're learning to drive. I think most of us have, maybe some of us haven't. One of the first things that you do at the beginning of learning how to drive is you learn the basic fundamentals. So you, you're learning how to accelerate, decelerate, stop, take left and right turns, 
check your uh, blind spots, learn how to park. Doesn't matter how good of a driver you are, how long you've been driving, you're always going to be using these basic fundamentals. Every time we go out and drive, we, we use them. And so it is with Psalm 1 and 2. The more you understand what these two psalms are saying, the better you will understand the rest of the psalms. Let me read Psalm 1, and then I will pray. So I'm reading out of the ESV version. It states, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we thank you today just for the opportunity to be gathered together as your people this Sunday. Thank you that we can be here in your presence and in your temple. I pray that we can all receive your word and hear it with joy and gladness. Pray that as we go through Psalm 1, help us to see your word and your son in this psalm. May we, may we be encouraged as we move forward during this week and we leave this place as we hear Psalm 1 and apply it to our lives. In your son's name I pray, amen. All right. So one of the first things we notice in this psalm is, is that there's no human author that's attributed to it. Usually if we look at the, some of the other psalms we have, like a psalm of David, a, psalm, a song of Solomon, we don't really have any introduction like that for Psalm 1. Well, that's okay because, as we all know, God is the ultimate author of every one of these psalms, so God is the author of Psalm 1. So when we start at verse 1, we start off with the, the phrase, blessed is the man. Now the word here, blessed, can also be translated as happy. So for example, the, the Christian Standard Bible reads it in this way. So how do we define what a happy man is? How does our society define happiness? I'm sure if we were to go around Bakersfield and ask a hundred random different people what makes a man happy, we'll probably get a hundred different answers. Some might define happiness as possessing material goods. Like, okay, I can see that. Others may define happiness as having family and friends. I think that's fair. Especially today in our, in our society, 
we wouldn't be surprised if you hear someone saying that, for example, living a simple lifestyle would make somebody happy. Even the word blessed gets thrown out a lot. I don't know how many of you guys are on social media, but when I get on there, I don't know how many times I've seen posts where they have the hashtag blessed, and it can be used for different things. Sometimes I've seen it apply to maybe somebody has reunited with family and friends, and like, okay, haven't seen them in a while. But I've also seen it apply to something as simple as Starbucks writing your name correctly on their cups or pronouncing it right, you know, and you just feel so happy and you have to post it on there and say, you know, I feel so blessed today that they got it right. Now, to be fair, that word does get applied to, you know, different, different examples and scenarios that make sense. But today in our society, that, it just seems that that word gets thrown out a lot and applied to so many circumstances and scenarios that it kind of loses its meaning. So with that in mind, can we truly define what a happy man is? Is that even possible? As a matter of fact, it can be. The psalmist here actually describes to us what a happy or blessed man is. Psalm 1 explains what the happier, blessed man is like by introducing three negatives and two positives. The blessed man is first described as one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. To walk, as in this verse, means to live a certain way or lifestyle. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4 shows us what it means to walk with God. It states, you shall walk after the Lord your God. And fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. So just as there's a godly way of living that's according to God's word, the psalmist here is also letting us know that there's a wicked way of living that is not according to God's word. So again, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The blessed man does not take and live by the, by the advice of the ungodly. Second, the blessed man doesn't participate in sinful activities. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners. So, in order to be participating in sinful activities, you must have taken their advice in the first place. Or else, why would you? And finally, the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. You know, so seating in this verse refers to the act of judging. For example, we kind of get this connection more explicit in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where we read about standing before the judgment seat of Christ as we await our reward. So when we look at this part in Psalm 1, we see that judgment is being pronounced. But not just by anyone. It's by scoffers. In the Bible, a scoffer is someone who shows contempt for God in His Word. 
Psalm 1 describes a scoffer as one who mocks God's law and has no regard for the godly. Basically, the scoffer sits as a judge and mocks God's word. What we see here in verse 1 then is a downward spiral into a sinful lifestyle contrary to God's word. You know, we all know examples of people who hanged out with the wrong crowd. And, you know, they started out good, but because of that, they ended up damaging their moral character. Whether it be in sports, movies, politics, people we know, or even ourselves. We're all too familiar of a normal life deteriorating into a sinful one. This is what Psalm 1 is conveying, but on a more serious level, the serious of all levels. First, the wicked give you advice, and you listen to it. Then, you start participating in sinful activities until you finally get to the point where you mock God, His law, and His righteous ones. Church, we must be careful not to fall into a lifestyle of sin. Such a transition is not usually immediate or dramatic, but it's slow and not readily detectable. We must be aware of external factors around us, also the devil, but also ourselves. Whether we believe it or not, we are the best person to deceive ourselves. The blessed man does not do any of these three things. He instead does two things. So when we look at verse 2, it gives us the two positive things. I have stored up your word in my heart 
that I might not sin against Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You can almost hear the emotion behind that song. The Lord wants us to delight in his word. He knows we need it. It's a source of strength, wisdom, comfort, joy, life. Now, church, the question I'm about to ask you is a very important one. The way we answer it will determine how we interpret this song. So here it is. Who is the blessed man that this psalm is talking about? Who is he? As you're thinking about that, here's also something to take into account. The three action verbs in verse 1 that we just looked at, the does not walk, nor stay, nor sit, when you view those in the original language, they emphasize that the godly are never involved with anything tainted with evil. The negative descriptions of verse 1 are things that the blessed man has never done. This is a picture of complete obedience. Now I do want to point out that there are some translations that want it to be gender inclusive and therefore they translate a man in Verse 1 as 1, so blessed is the 1. I don't think that that does justice to the text because in the original language, the Hebrew word is masculine and singular. Which means that there's a specific man that's being talked about. Well, who is the blessed man? Is it Abraham? You know, he's described as the friend of God? Nope. Because we all know that uh, Abraham threw his wife under the bus one too many times. <laughs> Can't be him. Is it Moses? Israel's famous leader? Who's also described as talking face to face with God? Nope. Because we all know as the story goes that he ended up sinning by not following God's instructions correctly to provide water for Israel. And as a result of that, could not enter the promised land. Is it David, a man after God's own heart? All right. Isn't it a good contender? Nope. As we all know the story, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, murdered her husband, and tried to cover it all up. Can't be him. Church, we, we need to realize that we've, we've sinned. We have listened to worldly counsel and participated in sinful activity and have mocked God's law every time we refuse to obey it and not give it the reverence it deserves. 
Romans 3 explains the condition of every human being that has ever lived. It states, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's in our nature to sin. It can't be us. What man has never sinned and has been completely obedient to God? haven't connected the dots at this point and yelled bingo? Then here's the answer. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. I want us to hear that and to understand it and to receive it. Who else could it be? Jesus himself said that the law, the prophets, and the Psalms wrote about as we just read in Luke, uh, chapter 24, I'll just, I'll just read it again. These are my words. This is Jesus speaking. These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. If the Psalms ultimately point to Jesus, we should expect to see him from the very first Psalm. Jesus has never sinned, never done wickedness. He lived the perfect life he should have. He was completely obedient to the Father. And just as verse 2 in this psalm explains, Jesus delighted in obeying God's law. In John chapter 4, Jesus explains to his disciples that the food he eats is to do the will of the Father who sent him and to accomplish the Father's will. Jesus is the one whom the Father spoke about, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And when Jesus came into the world, he said to the Father, Behold, I have come to do your will. Vanguard, if we do not see Jesus as the blessed man of Psalm 1, we miss the point of the psalm. And by missing this, we make it primarily about us and set ourselves up for an impossible obedience in order to earn God's blessing. In short, the blessed man of Psalm 1 isn't you. It's Jesus. So, because we know that Jesus is the blessed man, we can now look at verse 3 through that lens. We see here that the blessed man, when he delights in God's law and meditates on it day and night, he's compared to a tree. A tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. So the, the tree is the blessed man in this image. And the life-giving water is God's word. 
When the blessed man is nourished by God's word daily, he is fruitful and prosperous in God's word. Another way to view this is that the blessed man trusts in God's word to nourish him and to give him strength. He trusts that God's word gives him life and everything else he needs, and thus doesn't depend on what the world has to offer. To delight and to meditate on God's word is to trust in God. We see this connection in Jeremiah chapter 17 where Jeremiah borrows the language of Psalm 1 verse 3. So, to set the stage for Jeremiah chapter 17, we're at a point in Israel's history where their kingdom has been divided into the northern and southern kingdom. And uh, Jeremiah has been dispatched to preach to the southern kingdom of Judah. And at that point, Judah is being condemned for not trusting in God to deliver them from their enemies. But instead, they've been trusting in themselves and in their plans by trying to form alliances with the foreign powers around them. Thus, we read the following in Jeremiah chapter 17, starting at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, should not see any good come. You shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Unlike Judah, who fell to trust in God's word by trusting in themselves, Jesus did. And he gave us a perfect example of his earthly ministry. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness by offering him an alternative way to rule that doesn't involve going to cross. Jesus countered Satan's words by quoting from God's word because he trusted in it. People were offering Jesus worldly advice to avoid his death on the cross. But Jesus rejected it because he trusted in God who said that he would raise him up from the grave and live. Jesus is the blessed man. And just like Jeremiah had an analogy for the wicked, so does the psalmist. The psalmist describes the wicked not as being prosperous, yielding fruit, nor being nourished by a river of living water. Instead, the wicked are described as fading chaff. Verse 4 states, The wicked are not so, 
but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now for those of us here who don't understand that imagery, and I was one of them recently, glad to look up and see what exactly chaff was, what the process was. Basically what, what, what happens is you have this grain, but surrounding, surrounding that grain is all this worthless material that's generally considered the chaff. And what you'll basically do is you grab a good amount of that, and you go up to maybe an elevated area, hopefully there's some wind as well. And what you will basically do is just grab a good chunk of that and just throw it up in the air. And what would happen is the grain, which is heavier than the surrounding material, would fall down, and that's what you would keep. And all the worthless material left over, like the chaff, just gets blown away into the wind. This is the common imagery used in scripture to describe the separation of the righteous from the wicked. John the Baptist picks up this language when preaching the repentance of sins. He states in Matthew 3 that we need to repent of our sins and prepare for the Lord's coming because his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The lives of the wicked are temporal and fading. They will not last. Compared to eternity, the wicked will be gone in the blink of an eye. There is no hope for them in the end. And so the psalmist continues in verses 5 and 6 and says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What a serious way to end this song. It's a serious, sober warning of what lies ahead for those not found in Christ. In the end, the wicked will not be able to withstand the judgment of God. Revelation picks up on this language of not being able to stand in Revelation chapter 6. Now, you don't need to go there, and I am not going to explain what's happening in Revelation chapter 6. I'll leave that up to James to deal with that, uh, but in that chapter, Revelation chapter 6, we have the seven seals that are being opened, and I'm not going to describe what the seals are, not all of them, but when we get to the sixth seal, <coughs> and when it's open, what we have there is apocalyptic imagery of judgment that's being described, and you have the rulers or the kings of the earth that are hiding themselves in caves. And they're telling the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, 
and who can stand? This all ends with the eternal destruction of the wicked. And like it says, their way in the end will perish. Okay. So we know that the blessed man is Jesus. Good. That's good. What, what does that mean for us? If Jesus is the blessed man in Psalm 1, where does that leave us? What group do we fall under? Well, the only other group that's mentioned in this verse or in this psalm is the wicked. Church, we know that we are sinners. We've done everything in the first verse of Psalm 1. Like I said, we've listened to worldly counsel. we participated in sinful activities. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we've mocked God's law. And then we just read it right now that the wicked won't survive judgment day. And that we will eternally perish. So what hope is there for us then in this song? Vanguard, we need to trust in Jesus. He is the blessed man, and we need to trust in his work on the cross. When we do that, the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to, to us, and that's a beautiful thing. And, and when I use the word credited here, it basically means that Christ's perfect life and perfect obedience to the Father, that gets applied to us because we're united. It is only through the gospel that the blessing of the blessed man in Psalm 1 is credited to us. It's only through the gospel that the blessing of the blessed man in Psalm 1 is credited to us. His perfect obedience in verses 1 and 2 of this psalm credited to us. It's only through Christ that we can say no to wickedness and delight in God's word. We are now capable of freely obeying God. Because of the blessed man Jesus, Christians can now be fruitful and prosper in their good works that God has prepared for them. As Psalm 92 says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They are, plant, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of their God. It is only through Christ that we will be able to stand on the day of judgment and be counted among the congregation of the righteous. So, as you read Psalm 1, Let's remember these truths. See Christ in this psalm and believe in him. You can read Psalm 1 and apply it to your lives because you are identified and united with the blessed man. May Psalm 1 give us peace, comfort, 
assurance and confidence in Him. Vanguard, you are free to delight in Him and in His Word. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Word that it nourishes us, helps us grow, gives us wisdom, joy, and life. Pray that we can apply this song to our lives. That we first see Christ as the blessed man, and therefore because of him, we are all blessed as well. I pray that as we move on into this upcoming week, that we may delight in your word and delight in your son. That we may meditate on your law continuously. Thank you for what your son has done for us. And I pray that we would encourage one another, one another with your word as well. In your son's name I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.